And not only a wolf, they were raised by a she-wolf. Uh, so they were two young people who came out of nowhere who were raised by a wolf. And uh, when they grew up, they established a city. And from that, there was a republic. And then the republic turned into an empire. And then the empire conquered the world. Roman history. All right, now that sounds outlandish. And it uh, sounds very unbelievable that there were people raised by a wolf. <coughs> now let me go back to Zepho. Because Zepho is an important character. Zepho became a chief in Edom. And we know this according to uh, Jewish Midrash and Jewish Talmud and the Jewish book of Jasher, which state that Zepho rose to power in Edom and out of a spite and really revenge against the sons of Israel uh, because of some things that happened between Jacob and Esau, Zepho leads an army from Edom to Egypt to do battle against the Jews in Egypt um, but at that point, Joseph was second in command in Egypt, so he has the entire Egyptian army with him. And so they end up defeating the Edomites. Zepho gets put in jail. Zepho somehow breaks out of jail, hops on a boat, and crosses the Mediterranean to a peninsula that really didn't have much going on. So Zepho begins to rally together these different city-states and establishes a coalition of city-states that then they go and they invade northern Africa. Uh, it doesn't go too well for them, so they retreat back to the peninsula. Uh, and then Zepho really unites everything, but then he's just going to die of old age. And what Zepho does is Zepho takes his two generals and he divides what was his little coalition of city-states amongst his two generals it falls apart after that and won't become something powerful again for a few hundred years but the really cool part is zepho is latin for she-wolf and so we have a mythological story in roman mythology that is actually a historical fact when looking at it through the lens of scripture and this little character in scripture named zepho so i think that's really cool if i'm the only one then i just wasted three of your minutes but uh it wasn't three minutes, was it? It was a little longer. But uh, now we're diving in Genesis chapter 37. So flip one page over with me, and we're going to read verses 2 through 4. And it says this. This is the history of Jacob. Uh, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, or of them, to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably about him. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you for the opportunity that we have week in and week out to come on a Sunday morning and study your word. Uh, God, I pray that we would not just approach your word on Sunday morning, but God, we would spend time throughout the week studying your word, reading your word, meditating on your word, God, memorizing your word, because your word is living and active. God, your word is true, uh, and your word helps us in uh, the building of our faith. So God, I pray that this morning as we spend these next few moments looking at your word, God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would build us up. Uh, in our most holy faith, and God, that we would leave this place different than when we came in. So God, we thank you, we praise you, in your son's name we pray, and everyone said, amen. As I was praying that prayer, I realized uh, when I said leave different than when we came in, we're definitely going to leave a little more sweaty, but uh, I pray and I believe that we're going to leave encouraged by God's word. Uh, Joseph's brothers, 
they don't really like him that much, uh, and, and for several reasons. But we can see something here that is very uh, common to humankind. We see that people want to uh, be someone else. They want to be somewhere else. Uh, in many cases, they want something else. People are not content with what we have. We want something more. We want to be somewhere else. Maybe we want to be in Alaska today. Um, we just want to be something other than we are. Uh, and this is envy. And we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning looking uh, at Joseph's brother and their envy. Um, but I just want to preface it with this. Uh, when looking at other people's situations, we live in a world and a culture that's very driven by social media. People on Instagram, they take 100 pictures and they post the one that looks the best. And then everyone's like, wow, I really wish I could look like so-and-so. Or, oh man, this person has this or that. I saw their Facebook status. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, no matter what social media we use, that's not a snapshot of reality. Uh, that's a snapshot amongst hundreds of other snapshots uh, that really don't give an accurate uh, description of how other people are living. Uh, we might say the grass is greener on the other side. But I heard one person say this uh, in, in reference to envy and wanting what other people have and, and the statement of, well, the grass looks greener on the other side. This person said, yes, the grass looks greener, but the water bill is also way more expensive. And the reality to that is you don't always know what other people are going through or what other people have. And the, the look of something and, and wanting to have that, uh, maybe you really don't want to have what you see. Uh, if you knew the full picture. So um, humanity is, is vulnerable to envy. Uh, it, it was all the way back with uh, Cain and Abel. There was some envy. There was some frustration. It didn't end very well. We see King David. He sees Bathsheba. He envies what Uriah had. He ends up killing Uriah and taking Bathsheba. Uh, it goes on. It goes on. It goes on. And it's natural for humans to be envious, uh, to, to want what others have uh, and I want to encourage us that we should be people who are uh, not complacent with what we have and where we are at, but content. And that we can rest and know that, that God has us in specific places at specific times. We're going through specific things to build us, to mold us, and, and to further our relationship with the Lord. Envy is not just material, though. How many of you know envy can transfer over into your spiritual life? We can see or perceive what we see as something or someone being more spiritual than us, and then we want to emulate that, and we begin to put on a false spirituality. Uh, I know for me personally, I'm going to give a little personal story on Pastor Matt. Uh, I went to high school with a young man. He was a few years older than me, uh, and this young man was, uh, he was the life of the party, and I was not. Uh, this guy, he was a junior when I was a freshman. We both had PE at the same time. And the PE teacher thought it would be a great idea to go juniors versus freshmen. Uh, how many of you know that's not a good situation when you have extremely athletic juniors against not very athletic freshmen playing dodgeball? Uh, it did not end out well for me. Uh, I was the last freshman standing, um, but I, was, I got hit pretty hard by this guy. And he uh, exchanged some very uh, colorful words with me. Uh, about being the last freshman that he knocked out in this game of dodgeball. Uh, I, I didn't see this guy for a few years, um, but I was convinced that this guy was just, he was not a good man. Um, come to find out, his dad was a pastor, and I was like, oh my goodness, like, 
where did that go wrong? Like, or am I doing this pastor's kid thing all wrong? Should I be crazy like that? All this to say, a few years later, I heard him speaking at a church. And I was like, wait, the guy who said some funny words to me playing dodgeball is now preaching, and it was an amazing sermon, and there was a full altar call, and I was like, what on earth happened? And my first response was not to be like, praise God, this is great. My first response was, this is ridiculous. God, I'm a pastor, and, and I, I was a good Christian kid. Like, what's going on? How come this is not fair? And I was bitter. And not only was I bitter with God, I was bitter towards this individual. And my whole view of this individual changed. And it was bad, and it lasted, I'll be honest with you, it lasted for like three years. And it was so bad, but the Lord... Because God is good and his word uh, is true, <laughs> convicted me, and I had, to, I had to apologize to this guy, come clean with him. Uh, and hey, the Lord's working in both of our lives now, and it's, it's super cool. But it's not just the material that causes envy. It can be spiritual. It can be in all areas of our life. And I want to encourage us. This is the little sermon before the sermon. Let's not be an envious people. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, now it's time for the sermon. Uh, if you are taking notes, the title of the sermon is BMOC. Anyone know what the acronym BMOC stands for? Uh, if you don't, which not many hands are up, it means big man on campus. Anyone ever heard the phrase big man on campus? Uh, so big man on campus, but I have another title. It's going to be Brothers Maddened Over Comparison. Uh, Joseph was the big man on campus, and the rest of his brothers, they weren't very happy when they compared their lives with him. We see here that Joseph is loved by his father more than all of his other brothers, so his father gives him a coat of many colors. Now, how many of you remember Sunday school, or maybe you've seen a Broadway production or a TV show about Joseph with this epic technicolored uh, uh, cloak that he was wearing, maybe on the flannel gram, he's got the rainbow jacket, he's just looking awesome in his coat of many colors. Anyone ever seen a rendition of him with many colors? Um, the phrase many colors, when properly translated, means many pieces, and actually many pieces translated down to its uh, literal phrase means coat with long sleeves. Coat with long sleeves. Uh, now what makes long sleeves important? Uh, why is this something that would be awesome that a father would give to a son, uh, a coat that has sleeves? Most of our coats have sleeves. Well, at this time, a tunic and a normal piece of clothing for the gentleman uh, of this time was a gigantic sheet with a hole cut in the middle. They'd put their head through the hole and then they'd tie a string around it and it would just cover uh, them up. They'd be able to do their work and everything. Uh, it was a good working man clothes. But when you sew sleeves onto it, it takes effort, it takes time, and it shows that there's some investing into this uh, garment. Not only does it show work, but also that kind of garment, a garment with sleeves, was what the foreman of a work site or, or, or the boss man would wear. Um, we have found through archaeological digs, we, we found clothing from this time, and some of these clothes that have these big sleeves would also have uh, the string that was run through them, and you can uh, tie to the string little tools so the boss could come up and he'd swing out his sleeve and pull the string out, and he, there's my little hammer, do do do, and he was, that was the cool, cool piece of clothing to wear. And the brothers, when they see Joseph with this coat on, they are not happy at him at all. Acts chapter 7, verse 9, 
as Stephen there is being martyred, he's recounting the story of all the patriarchs. And he said, it was because of the brothers' envy that they sold Joseph into slavery. And so envy uh, is not good for anyone. Uh, And it was not going to end up very well for Joseph. I have six points this morning. It's a six-point sermon, and I know we're already way into this. Uh, And I promise that I'm going to get you guys out of here. But our first point is this. Uh, Joseph had enormous sleeves. Enormous sleeves we can see uh, in verses 3 through 11. Uh, He is this man who is loved by his father more than all the children. He's given this coat with these big sleeves. But also he has a big mindset. He's a dreamer. And God gives Joseph dreams. And he has a dream of, of... Uh, his brothers and his parents bowing down to him, and he shares it to his brothers, and they're like, dude, we hate you. Stop saying these things. He has another dream, and he tells them, and then he tells his father, and his father's like, why are you saying these things? And his brothers begin to hate him even more. Now, I want to point out the fact that I don't think Joseph was trying to be someone who was antagonizing. Uh, I would like to believe that Joseph uh, was pretty innocent, Uh, We can see over 30 parallels between Joseph and Jesus in his story uh, here in in, in the book of Genesis. So Joseph is a pretty good guy. So I don't think Joseph is purposely trying to poke at his brothers. I just think he's a little naive. Any of us been there before where we're just a little naive uh, and and we say things that antagonize other people, uh, but we're not doing it on purpose. Now Joseph's brothers, they begin uh, to hate him even more. uh, So I want to draw one encouraging point from this would be uh, if you know something that you're doing or something that you're saying is uh, causing your brothers or your sisters to hate you, uh, maybe not do that because we don't want to cause our brothers and our sisters to stumble. So if you're doing something and it's not uh, something that's really pertinent to everyday life, uh, we should maybe not uh, cause our brothers and our sisters uh, to have way to be hateful towards us So we continue on uh, living in love to our brothers and our sisters. So Joseph's father, uh, in verse 11, it says this, The brothers envied him, uh, but his father kept the matter to mind. Uh, Jacob was a man uh, who went through a lot. Uh, He had his twin brother, and they had their issues growing up. And he was a deceitful man, and then he was deceived by his uncle Laban. Uh, And Jacob's life story Uh, was one of a lot of turmoil. Uh, So I think when we can see here in verse 11 that he's pondering these things and he's keeping these things in mind, uh, I think Jacob knows God is maybe working here. Uh, And we're going to see that a little bit later on uh, as we go in this story. Uh, The next thing is we not only have enormous sleeves, but we have uh, his brothers who have this enraging sight. They see Joseph and it causes them to hate. We see from verse 4, they're angry at him. Verse 11, uh, they want to kill him. And and they're going to start putting things in process to kill uh, their brother. Their enraged sight of Joseph translates to an uh, an envious spite. And their envious spite is so much so that from verse 11, where they hate him, verse 18, now they really want to kill him. And I think we can draw a little point off of this, that undealt with sin in our lives can fester. Undealt with and unconfessed sin uh, can grow, and it can metastasize, and it can become something that is so much bigger than we ever wanted it to be. 
I don't think Joseph's brothers, when they heard that first dream, were thinking, let's murder our brother. They were like, Joseph, just keep your mouth shut. But when it was unconfessed and undealt with, it continued to get worse and to get worse and to get worse. So as 21st century believers, uh, one thing we can pull from this story, let's not let little things get up under our skin, fester, and become something that is much greater. Uh, so many relationships have been pulled apart by little things that are unaddressed that over time lead to something extremely large. So his brothers, let's skip ahead um, now. I'm going to pick up reading uh, in verse 17. So Joseph comes, uh, and he's looking for his brothers, and he comes to a man, uh, and he says, Your brothers have departed from here, uh, for I have heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. Therefore, let us go now and kill him and cast him into a pit. And we shall say that some wild beasts have devoured him. And we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness. And do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Here we have a picture of Reuben. He's the firstborn son, uh, and he, he's, he's doing something that is great. Uh, he's saving his brother from death. But even this act of courage and greatness uh, is overshadowed when we know Reuben's full story. Uh, we saw earlier in Genesis that Reuben, he messed up, and he's not in good graces with his father. He actually slept with one of his father's wives. Uh, that's not a good situation in any uh, matter. And we're going to see that when Jacob is blessing all of his sons, uh, he does not give the birthright to Reuben. So Bible scholars and, and, and folks, when they look at this, they can say uh, Reuben might have ulterior motives here for saving Joseph. Just think, Reuben, the black sheep of the family, his brothers are going to kill Joseph. Reuben saves Joseph's life, brings Joseph back to Jacob and says, hey, all the rest of the brothers were going to kill him, but I saved him because I'm a good son. Reuben here is having this, this state of, uh, what can I get? What can I get? What can I get? And we see humanity all throughout this portion of scripture, how envy and how sin and how these things undealt with can really lead uh, us into uh, terrible places. We see him with this entangled selflessness. He's, he, he's caught in uh, a false selflessness into uh, trying to really see what he can get out of it. So Reuben uh, saves his brother from death, and he gets thrown into this pit. Uh, and it says this in verse 23. It says, So it came to pass that when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic and the tunic of many colors which was on him. Then they took him and cast him into the pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal, and when they lifted their eyes, they looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices and balm and myrrh on their way to carry him down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, 
Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh, and his brothers listened. Then the, then the Midianite travelers passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. So here we have Joseph going into this Egyptian slavery. His brothers have taken him, uh, and they Judah now, uh, who should be a good leader. Judah says, hey, you know what? Yeah, Reuben's right. Let's not kill him uh, because what does it profit us if we get his blood on our hands? But we could sell him and just make some money off of him. Uh, so Judah is not in good leadership here, and he's taking his brother and selling him into slavery. Uh, sin in our lives, envy in our lives, undealt with, unconfessed things in our life, they can lead us into a place of slavery as well. Uh, we can become a slave to our thoughts if our thoughts aren't brought captive in the name of Christ. Uh, we can become a slave to, you name it, we can become a slave to anything if we are not honest with the Lord and we are not bringing them before him in confession. So then we have these things. Reuben uh, comes to the pit uh, and he doesn't find Joseph anywhere. When we get to verse 31, this is where... Uh, I think this is where we can really see uh, the culmination of Jacob's story. Uh, and it says this, They took Joseph's tunic, and they killed a goat, and dipped the tunic in its blood. And then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether or not this is your son's tunic? And Jacob recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. And a wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 tells us that we will surely reap what we sow. Uh, Jacob was a guy who sowed a lot of deceit. And from that deceit that he sowed, he reaped deceit as well. Uh, if you remember a few chapters ago, uh, Jacob and his mother, they conspire to get the birthright and the blessing of the firstborn. Uh, so what does Jacob's mother suggest he do? Jacob's mother suggests that they kill a lamb and that they cook a meal out of the meat, but then that they skin the lamb and take the wool of it and wrap it around his arms and make him look all gruff and tough like Esau and then go uh, to the father to get the blessing. It's interesting that all these years later, 12 sons later, uh, we have Jacob being deceived in very much the same way that he had been deceived all those years earlier. How was he deceived? Well, his sons kill a lamb, use that lamb's blood to deceive him, and now he is completely distraught. Jacob was a man uh, who uh, is a patriarch of the Jews, and, and he's one of the great leaders uh, of the Jewish nation and really the history of the Jews. But Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 11, verse 21, that it wasn't until Jacob was dying that he has his faith. It says, by faith, Jacob, as he's dying, blesses his sons while leaning on his rod. Jacob had a life where he was trying to do things in and of himself. He was trying to accomplish things by himself. The Lord had promised him things, but he began to veer off the path and tried to do it this way, tried to do it this way, tried to do this, tried to do that. All the while, the Lord had a plan for him, but he wasn't living by faith. In our lives as believers, so often we know what God has for us in the end game, 
but we lose sight of it in the here and now. And we can so easily go off and try and do our own thing and try to make the Lord's will happen by using our own hands, by not having faith that the Lord's going to see it through. And what we can see by the life of Jacob, and now we'll see the opposite of it when we see the life of Joseph, but we can see that when we put our hands and we take the faith out of it and we act in and of ourselves, the flesh rather than the faith, uh, things aren't going to end up very well. As a church, we're beginning to uh, go through this 90-day challenge with the All One Churches of North Clackamas. We're a week into it, and it's our Grow Your Faith Challenge. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We are to be people who are growing in our faith, not growing in our flesh. And so I want to encourage us this morning that envy, envy will derail us from anything and everything godly in our life. Uh, sin in our life, unconfessed sin, undealt with things in our life can derail us and can make us begin to see things in a different light. We begin to not trust the Lord and we begin to trust ourselves. We will begin to put our faith in our friends and in our family rather than in the Lord, which is true. God's word is unfailing. Uh, God's word is solid. It's a solid rock. Jesus gave a parable about a man who built his house upon the sand and about a man who built his house upon a rock. And when the waves and the wind and the, and, and, and the rain came down, uh, the house that was built on the sand, uh, the flesh, the things that aren't solid, uh, it came crumbling down. But the house that was built on the rock, it stood firm. As believers, let's be people who are leaning on the word of God. Pastor Dave said this two weeks ago uh, when he was talking about the staff of Jacob. Hebrews 11 verse 21 talks about by faith dying, Jacob blesses while leaning on his staff. Uh, and Pastor Dave did a great job breaking it down. Uh, and I'm sorry we didn't have pictures a few weeks ago uh, of this. But Jacob's staff really is a cross that he's leaning on. And it's a type of us as believers leaning on the Lord, leaning on the cross, rather than leaning on ourselves. And so this morning, as we look at these uh, enormous sleeves, the enraging sight, the envious spite, the entangled selflessness, uh, Egyptian slavery, and uh, the endless sadness that Jacob had, he had no faith at this point. He thought his son was completely dead, and he was completely out of the picture, and he had put all his eggs in the basket of Joseph. Joseph is going to be the leader of my family. Joseph is the son of, of my old age, and he, he put all his faith not in the Lord, but he put his faith in something else. And it came crumbling down. And we're going to see in the next few weeks, the, Joseph, he's not dead. And things uh, aren't nice and pretty for him over in Egypt. But Joseph puts his faith in the Lord and does not allow the things of the world to bring him down. And Joseph is going to rise above and God's going to elevate him. And he's going to do great things. And Joseph is actually going to redeem his family. Uh, but at this point, we see Jacob in a place of never-ending sorrow uh, because his son, uh, in his eyes, is dead. So let's be uh, people who are not controlled by envy, who are not controlled by comparison, uh, but let's keep our eyes on the Lord, keep our eyes focused uh, on what God has for us and the call that he's put on our lives and the promises that he has for us. And as we do those things, as we put our faith and our trust in the Lord, uh, we know that he never fails.
We know that he never fails, and when we put our faith and our trust in him, that's sure, and we can take that all the way. Amen? Amen. Okay, it's hot in here, and I told you we'd be getting done a little earlier. Uh, so what we're going to do, there's no teardown. Um, we have Afterglow this week, so I want to encourage everyone, fellowship here a little bit, uh, but we have roundtable pizza. It's air-conditioned, so everyone, we're going to get going that way in just a few moments. But let's stand real quick, and we're going to say a word of prayer, uh, and then we're going to send uh, us off this morning. So, dear God, we thank you so much, uh, God, for your word. Uh, God, we thank you that your word is perfect, that your word is true. God, I pray that uh, as we look at the life of Jacob, uh, a man who is continually uh, struggling, he's putting his faith in you, uh, but then he puts his faith in himself. Uh, God, it's at the end that his faith is uh, fully in you. God, I pray that we would learn uh, from the examples of these biblical characters, Lord God, and that we would put our faith in you from the very beginning, and that we would not take our eyes off of you. And God, when we do take our eyes off, God, that we would refocus them uh, and put them back on you. God, may we not be people who compare ourselves one to another, uh, but God, may we fully put uh, our identity in you, uh, God, and what your word says about us. Your word gives us so many promises, uh, and your word uh, truly defines who we are uh, in Christ. And so, God, this morning we want to put our faith fully in you, uh, knowing that you are the God uh, who has a great plan for us. So, God, we thank you. We praise you. Uh, go with us as we go from this place, uh, and we pray all these things in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Afterglow at Godfathers. Uh, feel free to fellowship a little bit more here. Roundtable. Preaching heresy. Roundtable on 82nd and King Road. Uh, we'll see you all there.